Good stuff. How many feel the Lord's presence in this place today? God is good, isn't he? He is good. It's amazing how the Lord tends to prepare our hearts for what he desires for us to hear this morning. And I believe just in this time of just singing and worship, uh, God is preparing our hearts for what I believe he wants us to to hear this morning. And as we've been going through um, the book of Judges, we've been studying the book of Judges. uh, We're in a kind of a deep series throughout the whole summer looking through the book of Judges. But what's interesting about the the book of Judges is you see um, a heart of, of people who have become very stagnant towards the Lord. It's not that um, they've forgotten what God has done for them. And you have a group of people that have been brought into the promised land. They've gone through the wilderness experience, the desert experience. God has brought them out of Egyptian bondage. He, he's delivered them from Egypt. He says, I've, I've got this land that I've promised for you. This is an inheritance for you. And from his people will come the savior of the world, Jesus Christ. So God has this plan for them, but the problem is, will they listen to God's plan and will they obey God's plan? And the problem is when they get to the land, there's still people there, uh, pagan nations around them that are going to be a stumbling block for them. And that's exactly what happens to Israel. They get into the promised land, but it's not, uh, everything's not hunky-dory. It's not all potpourri and and wonderful and, and cotton candy. It's just they struggle with temptation around them. And as we study through the book of, of Judges, I want us to see written some 1,200 years before Jesus uh, came on this earth. But what I want to look at this period of Israel is that it's so reflective of us sometimes. How easy it is for us to know the things of God and to understand what God has done for us, yet forget how good he really is. And to forget the things that he has done for us. And our hearts can become complacent and, and, and hardened. And, um, and Israel kind of goes through the, during this time period of the book of Judges, basically a judge was a leader that God raised up to deliver Israel from the oppression of a certain nation around them. And there was many judges or leaders that he rose up to help deliver them because Israel cry, cried out. And, and I've got a, a circle here just to show you the judges circle. I call this not the wheel of fortune, but the wheel of misfortune. Okay, so here's what happens. They, you know, they, they turn from the Lord. Basically, this is the cycle of the whole book of Judges. God gets angry. Then they're oppressed by their enemies. Then the, the people cry out in repentance. And then there comes this salvation through a chosen judge that God raises up to deliver them from their enemy. And then as long as that leader lives, there's peace. And then once that judge or that leader dies, they go right back into the same um, circle of misfortune. And that's what we're looking at. And today what I want to look at is I think one of the issues that we have and that Israel had during that, that time is they didn't know how to fight correctly. They, they, they didn't understand how to spiritually fight correctly in their lives. And because of that, there was so much oppression and so much defeat in their life. And I think our issue many times a day is we go into battle with the wrong tools. We go into spiritual battle with the wrong type of thinking. How many have ever heard of the, the saying, don't, uh, don't go into a gunfight with a knife? 
Unless maybe you're Chuck Norris. Maybe that, that'll work out. Um, you know, if, if you're from Wayne County, let me, let me relate it to us in Wayne County here. I would say don't take a Prius to a mud bog. Okay? That, that help a little bit? Okay, you're just not, it's, it's, it's the wrong equipment. I can remember when I was a youth pastor in South Carolina, uh, we lived in Charleston, we never saw snow. So I had this great idea, I'm going to take the youth group snow skiing in North Carolina. Bad idea. This, some of these kids haven't even been skiing unless seen, seen snow. So I'm really trying to prepare the kids. I said, listen, all of you have to take lessons. If you've never been skiing before, you've got to take a lesson. And you've got to make sure you pack the right type of clothing. So we're going to go up to North Carolina. It's going to be cold up there. You've got to make sure you have snow pants and nice jackets. So I'm reiterating this, sending notes home to the parents, so on and so forth. So sure enough, we get there. We're in North Carolina. And um, it's cold. It's cold for North Carolina. It's like 15 degrees, windy, and it's cold. And so these kids get off the bus, and they're already cold, and they haven't even started skiing. So we basically skied for about 15 minutes, and that was the end of the ski trip, and we all went back to warm Charleston. But what happened was, I remember, I, we weren't even there an hour, and there's this one kid in our youth group who comes up to me, and he, a friend of his came and said, Pastor Barden, this one kid, he's just, he's freezing. He's, and I'm like, oh, really? What's going on? He goes, well, you got to see him. He comes up to me. What he brought was, he brought leather work gloves. And they were literally frozen to his hands like this. And we had to take them off. We had to get his hands warm again. And then I'm going up the ski lift. I see another one of my kids and one of the stretchers going down the hill. I mean, it was like. It, it, was, it was carnage all over the place. It was just the worst idea I ever had for, a ski, for to take kids that never went skiing before. And here's the thing. I think what we battle with so much in our lives is that, and the reason why we succumb to the temptation or we succumb to oppression in our life or the things that we feel like we're doing wrong and we just feel like, why, why are so many things wrong in my life or why do I feel so defeated in my life so often I, I believe it's really for the simple fact that, that um, we're bringing work gloves skiing I think we're bringing a knife to a gunfight I think we're bringing a Prius to a mud bog and I, th- I think we have to understand that the battle in our lives in nature and, and, and if, we, if we look really what's going on behind the scenes are spiritual in nature and we have to understand how to fight that correctly. And that's what we're going to see in, in the book of Judges um, as we study a certain judge that God raises up who just doesn't have what seems to be the right equipment to go to battle. And what he's going to do is this judge, this leader, is going to fight against a warrior who seems to have all the right equipment. It, it's just, it's not... It, it, it's not even a fair fight if you look at it from the physical point of view. But those are the fights that God loves. God, God, listen, it's not, just as we sang this morning, it's not what we bring to the table. It's not all the gifts and things that we think we might possess that helps us to win life's battles. It's what God gives us through his power. It's through our humility and depending on the Lord that we're going to be able to overcome life's battles. So I want to jump into the book of Judges. We're in chapter uh, 4, and let's see what happens again. And here we see, um, uh, here we see the, the problem again in, in Judges, starting right off in Judges 4.1. It says, and the people of Israel again did what was what? 
evil in the sight of the Lord their God after Ehud. And we talked about uh, the leader Ehud last week after he died. Then they got into this oppression again. And once again, Israel finds themselves being oppressed by the enemy. This time it's by King Jabin of, of Canaan. And as we go on and look at judges going on there in verses two and three, it says, so the Lord turned them over. God allowed them to be turned over uh, to this King and God wanted them to cry out to repentance. God, God wanted them to turn to him. So he turns them over. It's a Canaanite king, and the commander of his army is just this unbelievable warrior. He has a great reputation. His name's Sisera. And and this this warrior um, basically is 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 unbeatable. He he's just he is is unbeatable. He's from Herosheth Hagoim and 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 Sisera he has this unbelievable arsenal behind him. He, the, the scriptures tell us that he has 900 iron chariots. It says he's ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites uh, for 20 years. And then finally, after this oppression, the Israelites cry out to the Lord for help. And so what begins to happen is, is Israel realizes that they're completely unable to fight against Jabin. And Jabin has this commander of his army who has 900 chariots at his disposal. And so Israel doesn't have any of the right stuff to fight against Jabin's army. So they just give up. And the thing of it is, here's the thing. Here's the reason why. They didn't know how to fight. They didn't know the correct way to fight. They looked at the physical. They saw what the enemy had and they were automatically defeated. They didn't realize who God really was and how powerful he really is. But they didn't turn to him. They just walked in defeat and just, and just rolled over and then were oppressed for, for, for 20 years. And so I want to give you some context here. If, if you have chariots on your side you have a considerable advantage. If you didn't have chariots, it would be the same thing as bringing a, a knife to a gunfight or a priest to a, a, mug bog, a, mug, a mud bog or a monster truck rail. It's just, it's, it's not going to happen. And so for 20 years, they're under this oppression. There's nothing they can do. The enemy has Hummers and the Israelites have Priuses. So that's basically the way it's going. Nothing against Prius. If you've got a Prius, you get great gas mileage. Great for you. All right. So, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. How will they overcome this insurmountable opposition? And so at this time, God is using this leader or this judge, and her name is Deborah. And this is really interesting about, about Deborah. Um, she was very wise. People would go to her for wisdom. People came to her on all types of, of matter. So what God does is, he hears their cries for help. And let's go on in chapter four. Let's keep reading here in verses six and seven. And so what she does is she sends for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh, from Naphtali, that was the tribe. And she says to him, the Lord, the God of Israel, command you, go and take with you 10,000 men from Naphtali and, and Zebulun and lead them to Mount Tabor. And, and I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots. Bring it on. Bring his chariots. She's got faith. 
She knows who the God she's serving. She knows the right way to fight. And so she goes, I'm going to bring his, his chariots, his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Now, this is interesting. She knew exactly where we're going to open this up a little bit more because you have to understand where the Kishon River is and what's around the Kishon River. And she knew exactly how she wanted to lead Sisera and all his chariots. And she knew that Israel would have an advantage on where they would fight. And what she's saying is, you're going to fight on my terms. God is leading us. He's going to show you where to go. And so I'll unpack that for you in just a minute. So here's what uh, Barak then responds to Deborah and, and, and asks her to go with him. Now, I want you to listen to her response. So what he says is, listen, I'll go, but you have to, you have to go with me. And so going on there in verse um, 8 and 10, it says, it says, Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. And then she said, certainly, I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. Now, we're going to unpack this. She's not talking about herself. We'll see this in just a moment. This is a fulfillment. It's going to be a prophetic fulfillment here. But she's not talking about herself. But she says, listen, the honor is not going to be yours. It's going to be in the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak summoned the, the tribes of Zebulun and, and Naphtali. And 10,000 men went under his command. And Deborah also went with them. Now, there's something interesting here. And maybe you've read this story before. Maybe at face value, you may have thought, well, Barak, he, it doesn't seem like he has a lot of faith. Um, it looks like on face value that, that Deborah, the leader here, the judge, is kind of rebuking him. But, but I want you to see something here. That's not what the scripture is saying. And it seems that Barak has a lot, lot of lack of faith or timidity. And it seems like he's not really trusting God. But the opposite is true. It looks as if Deborah is actually rebuking Barak. Barak. But this is not what's happening. I, I want you to see that sometimes we look at this and we get more of a pessimistic view of this, of this passage. But let me throw out another view about this passage, a more optimistic view that Tim Keller has observed, and I like this. If you go and look at verse 9, the Hebrew in verse 9 can also be translated on the act, and this is what Deborah's saying. She goes, On the expedition you are undertaking, the honor will not be yours, as noted in the New, New International Version footnotes. So Deborah is not necessarily rebuking Barak for maybe what seems like this lack of timidity, but simply telling him. That though he will have to charge down the hillside into the teeth of these 900 uh, iron chariots, he will not get the honor for it. He's not going to get the honor for it. And it's a prophetic statement of fact, not a verdict of his faith. So Barak wanting to take Deborah is actually one of obedience and not disobedience. And he's actually giving honor to Deborah the leader God has placed for that time. And so Barak has some incredible faith. He gets in his Prius and he goes into battle against this enemy of Hummers. And so it's not a lack of faith. In fact, it shows humility on Barak's side. And so Barak shows humility by, by not actually wanting the honor. And he shows obedience by leading his men against a much more powerful 
enemy. Now, now, knowing full in advance that he's not going to receive the honor for battle, he does it anyways. When she tells him, you're not going to get the honor for this, this is what's going to happen, he still goes, he still does it, and he still listens to the Lord, and he still fights against this insurmountable battle that seems like no way that they're going to win. But he obeys the voice of God through the leader. And Deborah gives him so much encouragement to go into battle. And we're going to see this in just a moment. Listen, there are voices all around us. And you can have positive voices of people that encourage you and people that pray for you. And then you can have negative voices of people that discourage you, that, 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 that can poison your life and move you away from what God has for you. Can I just say one thing? When you are discouraged, pray. When you feel down, pray. Go to the Lord. Go to God's promises and let his word encourage you. But if we're not doing that, it's so easy for us to get discouraged. And it seems like the battle that's in front of us or the problem that's in front of us seems enormous. But it's interesting that when we go to prayer and when we turn our hearts to the Lord, all of a sudden that that thing in front of us doesn't look that big anymore. Because we know that our God is bigger than that. And we know our God is stronger than that. And we know our God is more powerful than whatever we may face. And so we have to learn to fight the right way. And so for Barak, he's learning to fight the right way. See, it's not about the vehicle God uses. It's obedience God desires. It's not about what you have, what you bring to the table. God desires obedience. And Barak was obedient to the Lord to go into this battle that just seemed like it was going to be, defeat was going to be written all over it. And this is a good example for us. It's a good heart check for us. Are we fighting our battles with the wrong equipment? Are we going into our struggles and our fights the right way, the correct way of humbling ourselves before the Lord? And so we need to ask ourselves, you know, why am I doing this? Am I looking for the glory or, or am I simply serving Christ? And I think we have a good example, a perfect example in Jesus on this and how Jesus correctly fought the tremendous battle that was before him. And what Jesus did for us is when he came into this world, he came in with a servant's heart. He came not willing to be served, but to serve us and give his life for a ransom. I love how how Paul explains this to us about the character of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, where he talks about Jesus when he says, who being the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of what? Of a servant. He voluntarily took that role of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So God is not impressed with the show or the outward appearance. And so God was not impressed with Sisera. He wasn't impressed with the 900 chariots. What he, what he desired was Barak's heart and his obedience to listen to those that he put in leadership over them. And God encourages him not to give up. 
And so Jesus tells us that the key characteristic of a Christian is one who leads by serving. One who leads through humility. And that was the heart of Barak. And so in Luke, Jesus says this. He tells his disciples, he says, In this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people. They take their position of leadership and they usurp it over people. And they put them in bondage by the way they lead them. And then they they say that they call themselves friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. For those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. And the leader should be like a servant. And so Barak was willing not to take the honor and to get the glory, but still go against an enemy that seems so much greater and more powerful than them. You see, a servant leader, I want you to understand what the mentality of a servant leader is. Uh, The mentality of a servant leader says this, I don't care who receives the credit as long as Christ receives the glory. I mean, if you can... This will, if you can get this mindset that I don't, I don't care who receives the credit as long as Christ receives the glory. If you, this, this, this mindset right here keeps, keeps us from so much arguments and jockeying for position and, and worrying about me getting the credit for things. When I can live my life knowing that, listen, I'm living my life And and I want to forgo the honor or the credit that I deserve so that as long as Jesus gets the credit and the glory, that changes everything about your life and your mentality and wanting to get things your own way or making sure you get credit or people thank me for this or whatever. Lay that stuff down. It will take a lot of pressure off your life and, and it will allow you to focus on Jesus and what he has for you. See, a servant leader serves at their own expense and they give up their rights so that others are benefited. That's exactly what Barak did. You know, I, I, I appreciate so much um, our volunteers on Sunday morning, um, especially our, our children's church workers, our nursery workers, because um, they're giving up their right to, to be here on a Sunday morning in, in the main service so that they can um, serve um, our, our children. Can we just give them a big round of applause so they can hear us? Thank you back there. <laughs> right? I appreciate them so much. I, um, there was, I was talking to one volunteer, and they wanted to volunteer in the nursery. And um, this person said, listen, I, I'll, I'll volunteer um, in the 11 o'clock. Uh, but she goes, I need my church. So I'll, I'll be at the 9 o'clock service, and then I'll serve in the nursery at, at the 11 o'clock service. And I love that. I love that heart. So, you know, I got to have my church, but, I, but, I'll, but I'll be serving in the nursery um, at the 11 a.m. service when we're in two services. You see, a servant leader is not preoccupied with receiving accolades or recognition. That, that's not, you know, that, that's, that, that, that's, not why I, that's not why we should do what we do. It, it's not about being preoccupied with what kind of accolades or recognition will, will I receive. It's really about Jesus. I, I want him to get the honor for my life. I, I want him to receive the glory. And um, this this. This keeps us humble before the Lord. And I'll tell you what, when you can go into battle that way, you fight against your own flesh because the greatest battle you ever have is with yourself. The greatest struggles you're going to have is with yourself. It's not, we always want to blame other people for everything, but really it's, it's ourselves. It's our pride. Amen. 
None of us have pride, do we? <laughs> right? It's our pride and it, it's the things that flesh that we're constantly fighting against. And these things help us to fight against ourselves and our pride and, and, and getting things done our own way. And when we're able to come in with a servant's heart like Jesus desires us for do, um, we're fighting the right way. And so what, what Sisera does is Sisera, this, this supposedly great warrior, has all these chariots and he's cocky. He's like, he knows that this is going to be a cakewalk against Israel. They just have foot soldiers. When you can have chariots, you, it, it, you, Israel may have had 10,000 men, but the problem is the chariots can just slice through them like, like a hot knife and butter. It, it's, not even, it, it's just not even a match. And so Sisera has his chariots, but, but what Deborah understands is it's no match for God. Absolutely no match for God. And now let's go, let's go down. I love this because I believe the words of Deborah encourage uh, Barak here, um, or Barak here in, in, in Judges 4, 14 through 15. And listen to what it says. It says, Deborah then said to Barak, go, this is the day the Lord has given sister into your hands. And then she asks him a question. She goes, has not the Lord gone ahead of you? Whoa. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? Whose battle is it to begin with? It's the Lord's battle. He's not, listen, he's not expecting you to worry about all those things. She is saying to him, God has already gone ahead of you. Just be faithful and be obedient and just follow in his footsteps and just trust him. And God will win this battle for you. He's already gone ahead of you. So, so, so Barak went down to Mount Tabor and he's got his 10,000 men all in their Priuses and, and they're, they're, they're down there. And, and at, at, at Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots. Notice how they say that and all his chariots, cause that's what they put their, their trust in was the chariots and the army by the sword, and Sisera got down from his chariot and fled by foot. Now, now, Barak went into battle knowing that he would not receive the credit. So what, what happened? Well, some believe where they were fighting was very strategic. It's very interesting here because some believe, some scholars believe that the chariots actually got bogged down in mud. And so the chariots were kind of useless at this point and they couldn't maneuver. And Sisera got down from his chariot and, and ran uh, most likely because his chariot um, couldn't move. Now, this isn't the end of the story. Here's, here's what's really interesting. And here's where Deborah's um, prophetic uh, uh, saying to uh, Barak comes true, where she said, a, a woman will get the honor for this, and it's interesting. So, what happens is the Sisera uh, would actually uh, die at the hands of a woman, but not Deborah, but a woman named Jael. And Jael, she had a husband who actually had a tent. They weren't part of the battle, but actually had a tent that was near the battle site. And so, uh, what happened was when Sisera began to run, he was lured into this tent. And so Jael knew who this guy was. And so he was exhausted. He was tired. 
And um, so while he was sleeping, uh, Jael, who was just, just a very timid woman, very fragile, very weak, takes a tent stake and drives it through his temple and kills him. True story. You got to read the Bible more. It's really good. So, so she, she, she gets the glory. So here's the thing. Deborah's prophecy did come true in verse nine, where it says the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. And so we know Sisera was just, what we know about him was just a cruel person who used women as sex slaves. And it's ironic that his life would end at the hand of a woman. So Deborah's prophecy does come true. And so what's, what's, the, what's, the, what's the takeaway for us here, here, here today? Is that, is that God is going to ultimately win over evil. And, 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 and God is going to make those wrong things. And he, he, he is our ultimate uh, deliverer. We still live in a world where people do bad things. But we have to remember that we have a savior that through the power of the cross disarmed the enemy. And so when we are in Christ Jesus, we have this power within us through the Holy Spirit that we don't have to succumb to the enemy's schemes any longer. That Jesus has done the fighting for us through the power of the cross and through his resurrection that we can actually come to him knowing that he will rescue us, that he will protect us, that he is our strength. But here's the thing. The correct way to fight has to come through humility. The correct way to fight has to humble ourselves before Jesus and say, Jesus, I can't do it on my own. There's nothing within me. There's no power within me. Satan will laugh at that when we try to bring our own stuff to the table. we We will be defeated every single time. And so the question I want to ask you is, how are you coming to the battlefield? Are you coming with, with your Hummer and saying, God, look, look at my Hummer, man. I got a lot of strength. And God says, it's not going to work. It's not, not going to work in my kingdom. You, you need to come in your Prius. Priuses work great in God's kingdom. He, he wants you to come in your weakness and allow Christ's power to reign and work in you. You see... I believe Paul, the Apostle Paul, was, as you look at his life, a very, very strong-willed person. How many know Paul got things done? He wasn't, he wasn't timid. He was, you know, you look at his past and former life. But there are things that God allowed in Paul's life to break him of himself. And, and not that God was trying to be, cru- you know, mead or cruel to Paul, but he was trying to keep Paul humble because Paul had saw such great things and God had worked such power through his life. And there's a time in Paul's life where there was some, the Bible says some thorn in his flesh. And Paul's like, man, he prayed three times. God, I want, I, will you remove this already? I got things to do. I got places to go. I can't allow this thorn to impede what I need to do for you. Can we get that way sometimes with God? We get kind of demanding, like, God, I got these things to do. I I can't have these things, you know, slowing me down. And maybe, just maybe, God is using that in your life for a reason. And God's response, Jesus' response to Paul is, I'm going to leave it there. So that you can experience my grace. 
that in your weakness, I will be strong. And as Barak relinquished this responsibility of getting, of getting the glory from God, he was obedient to God. And Deborah's word to him is God has already gone before you. And so even in your weakness, even in the struggles in your life, as you humbly come before the Lord, realize that God is fighting for you. He hasn't left you. He's not going to leave you. And he will give you strength through that because he wants to teach you something far greater than if, if we were to get that healing right away or if something were to occur right away. He wants to do something far greater and deeper in our lives that he says, I want you to depend on my grace more than anything else. And that even in your weakness, even in your Prius, I'm going to do great things through your life. But our attitude, how are we coming to the battles? Are we trying to do it ourselves? Are we getting mad? Are we shaking our fist and saying, if it wasn't this, and if it wasn't for this person, if it wasn't for the world, we're fighting the wrong battle if that's our attitude. God knows your battle. He knows your struggle. But are you coming to him in the right way? God says, I want you to humble yourself before me and let me fight this battle for you. And what some of you need to do is you just need to give up and say, God, I need you to start fighting this battle. I can't do it anymore. And the way we do it is by coming to the Lord in prayer and saying, God, I give you this. I can't fight it on my own. I mean, I'm stressed out. I don't know how this is going to turn out. But I believe Deborah's words to Barak are so important. Don't you know that the Lord has already gone out before you? She encouraged him. And I just think Barak got into his Prius and he just stormed those 900 chariots because he knew God was on his side. So where is life beating you up today? Where are you struggling with the most today? I want you to realize our greatest tool is prayer. Our greatest tool is prayer. Our greatest tool is when we come to the Lord in obedience and humility, God's strength reigns in you. God will give you his peace through that time. And so I just want, as we just pray and we just close our, our time here in the service, I, I just want you to think your life, what are the things that you're, what are the things that are occupying your mind the most? What, what are the things that you're most uncertain about? What, what are the things that are keeping you up at night? What are the things that you're really stressed out about? And then ask yourself, am, am, I, am I fighting these things the right way? Am I going to battle the right way? God says to us, I want you to come to me and just lay those things down at my feet. I want you to humble yourself before me. I want you to give this to me in prayer. The Bible says to cast all our cares, all our anxieties at his feet because he cares for us. And I want you to watch how the peace of Christ will transform your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He doesn't want you to have to worry about those things. He doesn't want you to have anxiety in your life about those things. Uh, Barak did not have any battle plan. 
God, what are you going to do? Have you ever done that with God? You are, well, God, well, what, wait a minute, God. What do you, give me, the, give me the detailed list, God, of what you're going to do. And God says, I'm not going to tell you. Nah, 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 nah. I'm not going to tell you. Why? Because if we do that, we're going to mess it up somehow. God says, I just want you to trust me. Just trust me. Give this to me. And each day as you follow me, I'll show you a little bit more, a little bit more. I'll reveal a little bit more to you. And you'll see how faithful I am. That I will never leave you or forsake you. That nothing, nothing will separate you from my love. So maybe you saw the story of Barak a a little different today. I hope you did. I think Barak is a cool guy. I think he may have gotten a bad rap, maybe from not seeing that scripture correctly. And I'm very thankful for Tim Keller for showing that to me because I kind of thought it the other way. And I'm like, yeah, he trusted God. He gave up honor to serve God and to trust the voice of Deborah, who was God's leader at that time, to know that God was going before him. And he fought the Lord's battle God's way. When you do it that way, you're going to have good results. Amen? Amen. So just realize that Christ has already gone before us. And we have a Savior that we can run to and find our peace and find mercy and grace every single time. Amen? Would you bow your hearts with me today? And I just... um. I just want to pray for you today as we just close the service. Just a great day in the Lord today. I'm so glad you guys were here today. And How many would you say today, just as we, we pray, you just say, Pastor Barden, you know, there, there is a, a battle I, I'm just going through in my life right now. And, you know, I really just haven't turned that over to the Lord. And I, I need to do that today. I need to begin fighting the right way. I want to pray for you today. As you wake up tomorrow and as you're faced with the same battle, I want you to realize that Jesus never changes, that he's still going to be with you tomorrow and the next day and the next day. So I want to pray for you today that God would give you wisdom and understand how to fight it the right way that you would cling to Jesus more than anything else, that you would cling to Jesus more than the result of that test that may come in. That you would trust Jesus more than your job security. That you would trust Jesus more than the uncertainties of this life. Because this life is slipping away but Jesus never changes and our hope is in him and our future is in him who's prepared a place for all of those who have put their trust in him. So Father God, we just come before you and Lord, thank you for the example that we have in your word that that shows us that we all make mistakes and at times we lose faith in you and we trust things in this world and the things that we see Thank you for thank you that the Bible doesn't whitewash people's mistakes, that it shows us the reality of our hearts and how we can find the answer in you. And so, Lord, I pray for, 
for everyone here today that is just struggling with a battle in their life, but they've been fighting it the wrong way. And I pray, Lord, that we would come to you, that we would lay this thing at your feet in prayer, and that, Lord, your peace would just guard our hearts and our minds in you, dear Jesus. And I just pray that, God, um, we would trust you more than the thing that's in front of us. That we would realize you're a big God. And Jesus, you've overcome this world. Help us never to forget that. Help us never to forget the words to the question, don't you know that the Lord has gone before you? God, help us to realize that, Jesus, you've gone before us and you've paved the way for us through your death and resurrection. And our hope, our ultimate hope, is in an empty tomb. There's no body in that tomb. And so our hope is in the one who's in heaven. And so we thank you, Jesus, for helping us through this world and all its curves and ups and downs. Lord, help us to trust you with our lives. And so we give you this battle. We give you our battle, whatever it is. And we thank you that you fight for us and you've gone ahead of us. Help us to put our trust in you today. And we want to be careful to ask these things in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name alone. Amen.